Um, get very close to your microphone. Let's do the whole podcast in like ASMR and talk like Barry White. Hello. Um, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I just remember last week on this show, you uh, you had some very hostile and negative sort of experience or interaction or relationship to Gypsy. I'm not sure that was a hostile uh, I think it was response. hostile. Really? Hostile? I think if was you define hostile? hostile in the traditional way, yes, hostile. Isn't hostile, if you wanted to f- isn't hostile in the traditional way? Doesn't that involve weapons and not necessarily and things that can bludgeon you? That wasn't. I wasn't we're, hostile. We're not Genghis Conning it. We're not well, Genghis Conning tra- well, it. How traditional are you? Are you? Being I like. I like that phrase, your... Genghis Conning it. I want to use that now. I want to see if I can use that at least every third day of my life. Are you Genghis Conning it? I don't know. It's a hard one to. to I just like that. I don't know why I find that so amusing. Get back. Try it. Get back to me. Tell me how that how that works out. Locks in the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, please go to KenjaminMedia.com. Because when I think of the original Beverly Hills 90210, I immediately think of your character, Adam. What was his name? Joshua? Adam? Josh. His name was Josh. Josh. (laughs) And he was killed, tragically, right? Or he killed himself? Wasn't there a death? There was death. He was purportedly killed in a car accident. Okay, so I have a memory of having a conversation about this show at Sweet Lady Jane on Melrose, the original one, and mm-hmm. you then getting into an automobile and making an illegal U-turn and getting into a car accident. Is there any Why truth to that? Why must you always bring that up? Is that true? Is that a true story? Which part of it? <laughs> the part about you getting in a car accident? I did get into a car accident outside of Sweet Lady Jane. I, I'm not convinced that my u-turn was illegal i don't know that you and i were having a conversation about 90210 right before that well it's funny i locate the 90210 experience in that in that moment in the in the sweet lady jane what were you eating in sweet lady jane i'm sure it involved chocolate accident it involved chocolate and multiple layers of chocolate. That's my memory. My memory is Sweet Lady Jane didn't even have a lot of chocolate in there. Oh, no, they story. did. They had a great... God, it's so sad. Your memory is so addled. Um, they had great chocolate cake at Sweet Lady Jane. Multi-layered chocolate cake and a couple of different kinds, actually. They had a great, like, uh, um, you know, basically like a vanilla and whipped cream cake with fruit. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring up fruit. I knew you were going to bring a fruit, and in, and also located in that era is the is the uh, paradigm that fruit is not dessert. I have I have uh, I have <laughs> happily I have I have actually adopted that yeah. philosophy. Fruit is fruit. Let me say this. Let me say this. We're, we're recording this on a Monday, and this morning I went to a market, not to be named, owned by Amazon, and uh, bought. Um, Let's fruit. Just say it, it, remi- it it rhymes with bold, bold dudes. dudes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes, it does. And I bought a celery, carrots, apples, bananas, a whole roasted chicken. Do you know that only two of those things else. were fruits? Um, well, yes, but let me say this: they fit into a, a a new idea of eating for me that involves healthy eating. Oh, good. Um, and so I started today, and I've already for breakfast or late breakfast, early lunch. I had you've, you've already I had eaten the, all of that. No, no, I had um, I had a quarter of the chicken, or I had a, a thigh and the leg of the chicken, no skin, and then with that I had um, some celery, and then about twenty minutes ago, before we came on air, I had an apple, 
So that's what I've consumed today. And then and then the afternoon, and I bought some soups as well, some low-sodium soups, because sodium apparently can help you retain water, which is not good for weight loss. So I'm told. Mm-hmm. So that is, that's my plan. So I'm starting today trying to eat healthier and just make a pivot, as I like to say. I was talking to Marianne on the phone this morning. Use the word pivot. Pivot is a good word. Sounds, so like, you, be a pivot. sounds like you Genghis Khaned it. I'm Genghis Khaning it. That's exactly right, my friend. I am Genghis Khaning. Good mm-hmm. usage, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, no. And I don't. I didn't buy raisins because raisins feel to me like there's a lot of sugar in them. Um, even though it might be healthy sugar or natural sugar, it just feels very sugary to me. And and the, the thought of eating something sweet makes me want to buy cake. And so it's a it's a slippery slope, if you will. If if I eat raisins, I'm going to buy a whole chocolate cake. That's how that works. It's a pretty straight line. You're saying raisins are it. a gateway to chocolate yeah. cake. Raisins Ra- are the gateway. Rather, not, not a substitute, a gateway. No, it's a gateway. Because if you start eating the raisins, your sweet barometer, which is in your inner, your lower inner intestine, inner ear. Uh, intestine three mm-hmm. of the body, yeah. in medical school they taught us that, um, that triggers the cake need response. Did you say it triggers the cake knee response? There's a cake <laughs> knee response? No, the cake need with oh, the D, I, need. I, I, da. I, cake knee is like knee jerk, and that's a different thing, and I don't uh, want to talk about that. Um, okay, let's pivot um, oh, back so we're, to- So we're uh, Genghis conning it? We're we're Genghis Khan now. Now, okay. So, have you heard the word overuse? Yeah. Have so you heard I that stop, word? Should I stop using that now? <laughs> yeah, I said once every three days. You've used it three times in <laughs> in the last three minutes. Well, so that, I think I, well, there's I'm, a difference. I'm, I'm well. I'm 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 front loading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's a gateway then to other language you don't want to use. That's that's going to take you down a path. It's a slippery slope. Okay. What were we talking about? I've lost my train. Raisins. Raisins, that's correct. Um, last week on the podcast, we we mentioned uh, uh, anecdotally, um, uh, or an anecdote, I should say. I just like the word anecdotally. I love, I love saying anecdotally and then pausing and waiting for people to, the anticipation of what comes next. Because, you know, if you say anecdotally, one expects something to follow. Usually an anecdote. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Well yeah. said. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think if you say anything and pause, there is anticipation <laughs> of what you're going to say. Well, it, perhaps. Not always. Some people just say something, pause, and then move to the left. But other people, when they say anecdotally, when you hear the word anecdotally and somebody says it in a way that suggests an anecdote is to follow. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're yeah. clear on that. Yeah. Do you have an anecdote? Is it an anecdote about to. No, no, happen? not at all. Okay. I, I was thinking about the weather. Anyway. Speaking of which, I wanted to talk this week about our fathers. When we were kids, this is how I'll characterize it, and then let you recharacterize it, if you will. When we were kids, we thought we had two fathers who couldn't have been more different. Mm -hmm. I would say that's an accurate statement. My father, by reputation and by action, was thought of as kind of a simple, kind, lovely man. Pretty much that's it. And your father, by reputation, was thought of as... Successful, accomplished, narcissistic. What else would you mean. say? Mean. I think mean. a lot of people did think he was mean. Well, I mean, I have the list of adjectives. <laughs> much longer than that. Do you want me to include some, or do you want to just keep keep going on your thing? Yeah. No, I mean, if you have highlights, asshole was the word I think I used more often than not when you would come to any interaction you and I had in our teen years and tell me the story of what had just happened in the interaction between you and your father. My dad was brilliant. He was intellectual. Um, he was uh, articulate. 
mm-hmm. he was vengeful and um, yeah, egomaniacal and probably sociopathic, really. Yeah. I was just thinking, like, how I was thinking when I was thinking about this, but because I think about this a lot, like how our fathers in particular shaped sort of our sense of identity and, and uh, how we saw the world in some ways and sort of either through their eyes or as a reaction against what they, what we thought they had, they saw or they uh, are um, valued. I was thinking about that. Yeah. I've often thought that uh, much of who I am was, is a, is a response or reaction against who my father was because i think a lot often about my father who had this reputation again and my experience of him was that he was just a, a simple kind man he wasn't particularly intellectual he liked to read he was a big reader but he read mostly like um like mysteries and no- novels th- that kind of thing um he didn't read like great and he liked biography too actually he read, it's funny i hadn't thought about that in a long time he would read biographies but i mean he wasn't a student of history and he wasn't he didn't read the classics he wasn't a great intellectual. My experience was, you know, my fa- my parents divorced when I was five. We moved. My brother and I was three years older than me. Moved in with my mother, as everyone did in those days. Everyone moved in um, with your mother. She she had twenty seven hundred children. Uh, yeah, stop. You know, fuck you. Everyone moved in with their mothers in the seventies after divorce. Very few people live with their fathers. That wasn't a common thing. It wasn't. In the court system, you know, children went to their mother. That was thought of as normal and appropriate. But we, for lots of circumstances, which I won't tell the story now, we we moved in with my dad when I was 10. And having spent the previous five years living with my mother and spending every weekend with my father. And so the thing about my father was my father was very well suited for the weekend daddy of the 70s role. Because all we did on the weekends, my father made a really good living. He wasn't rich, but he made a really good income. Um, so we always had money to spend. My mother struggled with a job, and she didn't have money to spend. So it was a very different, two very different worlds. Uh, very restrictive during the week, and very you can do whatever you want on the weekend. You know, we went to we'd go to Westwood in those days when Westwood had like the seven different individual movie theaters before multiplexes, and we'd go to see like three movies. We'd go to like a a twelve o'clock, a three o'clock, and a six o'clock movie at three different theaters throughout a Saturday, and we'd just go from one theater to the other. And we get popcorn and candy in every theater, you know, and it was like going to Disneyland. And uh, we'd go out to dinner, we'd go out to lunch, you know, we always did stuff. And I have no memories of that era of talking about anything meaningful with my father. You know, like, I, I mean, maybe most kids don't between their five and ten. I don't know. My father wasn't really one to sort of talk about life or teach about life. He was, again, he was kind of simple. We talked about baseball and movies and sports and stuff. That's my memory of it. But then we moved in with my father when I was 10, fifth grade. My father was all of a sudden in the role of everyday parent, a role he was wholly unsuited for. You know, I would, I would suggest that most men of his generation were not suited for the role of regular parenting, da- daily parenting. And so he treated me basically like an adult. You know, like I had no curfew, I had no rules, I had, he always gave me money, like that was his thing, I think we talked about this before, like that was the way he communicated love, I think, was through giving me cash. And you know, it's funny, because I, and I think about this, right, like, why was that? Like, because he was raised by my grandparents, Ruth and Jerry, who you met, who were like the sweetest people in the world. They were not rich people either, by any stretch of the imagination, and they didn't just give my father 
you know, my father worked when he was a teen. You know, this wasn't like a wealthy family. Mm-hmm. So I always wonder, like, like where my father got that idea, like, to give me money all the time as some expression of caring and love. And I it just, I have no idea where that came from. And I never really spoke to him about it. Well, what do you, well, where do you think it came from? I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> but what do you think? Enough <laughs> about me, but what do you think of me? Well, the less said about it, the better. I mean, it, what I mean, what I was gonna, what I think is, I think the most obvious thing. So I'm looking to you, which for, is what for some more insight. Well, tell me what the well, obvious because thing I think is your dad was a whole, as you said, right? Your dad was unsuited to be the full time parent, didn't right. know how to do it, wanted to ensure that you, you know, that he was he was basically compensating for what he wasn't able to do by giving you money saying like i don't know what to do take this money and do what you think you're supposed to do yeah it's interesting you know the other piece of that which we we haven't brought up yet here's the piece that i think is more meaningful i'll give you some insight if you'd prefer unbelievable (laughs) here's the insight we moved we moved after my parents divorce we moved into beverly hills for the schools right we were living in a different area and we moved into a little apartment on olympic boulevard near Camden in Beverly Hills. It was the low rent district of Beverly Hills. So we could go to, so my mother could send us to the good schools. So we went to Beverly Hills public schools, which in those days were the best public schools in the country, really. Um, And so when my father got us at 10, he moved into the same neighborhood, basically, so we could continue to go to the same schools. Now, the thing about my father is he came from very middle class family in LA. They didn't, they never had any much money. My grandfather owned a, a gas station, but he wasn't wealthy. Just, you know, they, they had a good, decent life and they were happy. They were simple people. Um, and I think my father somehow got caught up in the whole like feeling had, and I'm pretty sure this is true, had feelings of inadequacy around his money and his, uh, his stature when we moved into Beverly Hills. And I think that was part of what had him always saying to me before I left the house, hey, do you have money? Mm-hmm. You know, like I was, I was not anywhere near, I was maybe one of the poorer kids relative to all the people we knew in high school. And yet I had always had 60 to a hundred dollars cash in my pocket in the late seventies and early eighties. And nobody did. Nobody did. Cause my father, I would leave the house. He's like, do you have money? And I'd say, no, he said, give me $60. Like that was just his thing. So I always had this cash, which was weird in many ways and in, and impacted sort of my whole life. And, and, um, but anyway, so that was sort of what I got from my father, that idea that money was love mm-hmm. and, um, and that he worked, you know, he had a job, it was a very demanding job, he was vice president of a bank, uh, and he worked a lot in my, in my childhood, and like most men, by the way, of his generation, so he would get home at seven or whatever, and he was tired, and so school would end at around three, and I was basically just on my own after school, you know, especially in elementary school, and that tend to, until high school and theater started... I just was sort of had to fill my own time. There were, I didn't have mm-hmm. classes scheduled. Like today, everyone is scheduled up the wazoo, but there was none of that. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of alone after school. And as we've talked about before, I would spend my time going to friends' houses who had stay-at-home moms. And sort of my role model for life became these women who, who seemed to be people who listened to you and took care of you and were interested in you and fed you. Mm-hmm. Like these are all the qualities I valued. And so from my father, basically, I got that working all the time was not great because it kept you away from being there. Mm-hmm. I think that's the the message I took from that traditional kind of masculine role. Whereas most kids get from their fathers that idea, like this is how you f- go in the world to be successful. What I got was this was not good because what it what it did was just had him not being there ever. And he was my primary parent from 10 to 18. So him not being there 
made me feel just alone and scared and like I didn't know what to do. So that's what I got from in terms of like the idea of what it means to be a man. It was very negative to me, mm-hmm. very fucked up, which is is interesting. So that's my experience. So tell mm-hmm. me, like, on the same lines, what you got in those years from your dad? I think until early early in high school, freshman, some somewhere in along lines, freshman high school. Um, I think there was a lot I admired about my dad, but I also was a little afraid of my dad. Mm-hmm. He had a temper. That manifested how in those years? He would yell, he would hit, he would throw things. What would he do? He was short-tempered and he would raise his voice, but but you know he, he wouldn't throw things. Mm. I mean, he used to hit me with a belt. Is that what you mean? That could be one thing he I meant. To, sure. he, used to, he used to hit me with a belt. He stopped in response me. to what? It was a, just punishment. It was just punishment mm. for something I did. That stopped as soon as I stopped crying. There was, I remember vividly being leaning over the bed. And him hitting me with a belt, and I remember thinking, "This is so weird." I, I this because there are other instances in my life when I've done something mm-hmm. similar to this. But I remember having this dialogue with myself, like, "All right, now, how mm-hmm. much does this actually hurt?" Like yeah. it was the most sort of reasoned, rational kind of thinking. Like, "Oh, this doesn't actually hurt that much. You don't actually have to cry right now because this is not so painful that you need to cry." And I didn't cry, and he never hit me with a belt again because I, I don't think it gave him the response that he expected. I just, uh, I think that's my interpretation that he didn't. Around what age would you say that? But he was? also used to. Um, I don't know. We were still at Loring Avenue, so it had to be seven, six or seven. Mm, wow! But he also used to flick me in the back of the. He was very um, sadistic. Um, he would, if I'd done something wrong, he'd sit down with me and then he would ask me how hard I, he should hit me, he, how hard mm-hmm. he should flick me on the back of the hand. It was very sadistic in that way. Wow. Why don't you, why don't you tell me how, how much pain you're going to be in and then I will inflict it. What do you think this deserves? And then he would flick me right on the back of the hand because there's very little skin, very little meat there. Mm-hmm. And so he would flick me there because it would hurt. Mm. Um, you know, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, and if you th- compare to clients that I grew up with, I mean, that I um, see, you know, it's nothing. But but in terms of in terms of, but in terms of my relate, but in terms of my relationship and what it, the effect that it had on me, yeah, you know, that was I thought I think very sadistic, um, and I think my dad there was a little sadism mixed in there. I mean, he was he was an abusive guy. He was a, he was abusive yeah. to, to to he was verbally abusive to me. He was verbally abusive to his wives. He was um, could be physically abusive to his wives. Right. So you you experienced mostly in those years sort of fear, as you described. Did that did that have you wanting to avoid contact with him? I did not. Mostly, or just moderate not, the way did, you behave. I did not mostly experience fear. I experienced huh. some fear. My dad always told me he loved me. He always hugged and he kissed, and kissed me. I uh, grew up in a home with well, a lot of that. Yeah, that's interesting because that feels like, you know, it's a mixed message, obviously, right? Like, I, my words suggest one thing, but my actions t- say, tell a different story. Like, did you see it that way at the time? Do you see it that way in retrospect? I'm curious. Well, it's very complicated, isn't it? I, I, do, see yeah. it, I do see it that way retrospectively, what you, as, what you described. As you, know, as you know, I didn't talk to him for a long time. I, I didn't. Um, and, and it's precisely because his, I knew that he loved me, but he, I didn't like what kind of a human being he was. Well, this so. is a question I have that, that, that suggests, and I, I've thought about this a lot uh, in, over the years, like, cause you just said something I find really interesting. You said, I knew that he loved me, 
But so, so how are you defining love? Because I knew this he reminds me, me a lot. Wait, so. okay, but let me just finish this because this reminds me a lot of what like men who abuse women say in therapy. You know, like I love her. I didn't. I didn't mean to hurt her, but you hit her. Like that. That to me doesn't feel like a practice of love, right? Like so, when you say he loved, I knew he loved me because he told me, but but that didn't feel like love, or that didn't feel like what I imagine you thought love's that, supposed to feel well, like. That's not a love. What you just described, of course, is not a loving practice. But my dad, to answer your question specifically, my dad hugged me, he kissed me, he told me he loved me every night. We took trips together, and there were there was ample evidence to me that he loved me. There were many practices that were not loving practices that were very painful and hurtful and ultimately caused me to cause me to ha- have a difficult relationship with him and sometimes not speak to him for years at a time. I don't I never actually doubted that he loved me. I never really doubted that I loved him. I just didn't like him mm, as a, as, really? a per, as a person. So what does that mean, though? Like, really, I, I I struggle with this. What does that mean when you say, I never doubted that I loved him? Like, I loved him, even though he hit me as a kid, or even though I thought he was abusive or narcissistic or even psychopathic. Talk a little bit more about what that looked like. I mean, first of all, it was a felt experience. Okay. And it was created over a period of years. So if you, if you spend many years before you have any kind of um, cognitive ability, well, speaking for myself, I spent many mm-hmm. years before I had cognitive ability to um, understand that he was a bad person, as I understand what it means to be a good person or a bad person. And that's a little bit mm-hmm. totalizing because obviously it's more complicated than that. Well, okay. But I understood him to be not a good person or not engaged in good human practices. But I'd also spent years building memories that were fond Mm. and which left me with deep feelings of love and the burden for me of being human is that we can contain those things simultaneously right it's not doesn't need to be reconciled it's just both things are true at the same time yeah that's to me that's one of the one of the most profound burdens of being human is that there you can contain both of those things and that creates and sets up a dynamic tension that's often very uncomfortable um and then that you know what leads us into a lot of deep reflection Mm -hmm. yeah no i think that's a that's a nice way to say it that makes sense to me i mean i agree with that obviously it's just it's just hard. You know, it's interesting, too, just uh, from the perspective of a friend, right? And this is true. This is analogous, I think, to a lot of divorce situations where you see people taking sides and really getting upset at the person they say they love, their friend, their sister, their, you know, after the divorce for them not being angry enough or not being frustrated or not being hurt and not, you know, expressing that. Because my my experience as your close friend during those years in our teens and 20s, my experience with your father, although I, I spent some time with your father in high school, we'd go to the bowl and we did really cool things, by the way, like things that are amazing. Mike's, I have a lot of fond memories, but I never thought your father was accessible, approachable, kind, or someone that I looked forward to being in his company, mm-hmm. right? Like I was always uncomfortable around your father. He didn't create an environment that made other people, in my experience, made other people or made me feel comfortable. And I was your closest friend, and we spent so much time together in those years, and I never felt comfortable around him. And so my experience was, you know, cool dinners and amazing experiences, which I took in and loved, but I don't have a lot of memory of your father never sitting with me and like talking to me mm. or asking me anything or, or even getting to know me. Your father liked to, to teach in some ways, like you would say like this is, mm. you know, showing, it felt a lot like showing off a lot of the time. 
Like, mm-hmm. let me show you how amazing I am mm-hmm. in my knowledge of these fabulous things. That's just the way it felt to me as a teenager. But I had the experience mostly with your father of listening to you tell me stories after your experiences with him, whether it was a dinner or a weekend or anything, that were almost 100% negative. Correct. Right? Like, I wasn't there in your early childhood years when you had good these good memories of when you were four and five and six and seven and eight and nine, whatever. You know, we met when we were 14. Mm-hmm. And so my memories are almost 100% of you telling me just these really frustrating, angry, hurtful stories about your father's experience with you. Yeah. The majority of them were at that right. time. I mean, that... Almost, yeah. almost all of them were at that time and... and and from that time on, uh, I mean, but there, I mean, there are some time, there are some memories, uh, and you and I have touched on them. I mean, not with him, but there were things that he did, like when he he paid for us and set it up for us on prom night to go. Yeah, you know, no, that was cool to, to, to go to the restaurant and be served champagne and all of that stuff. And then he and I took a trip to Napa, which was a great trip, but it was kind of a reconciliation trip. But I can count yeah. on sort of one maimed hand the number of of experiences like that, but. Um, yeah, starting around high school is when everything really, really shifted and um, and fell apart, um, and where I, I started to understand much, much more clearly what kind of a human being he was, and that was that that shifted everything. That shifted. Everything. You know, you know, it's interesting you say that because I think for me, my experience at the time of my father in my teens and even through my twenties was very positive, mm-hmm. you know, because he was just a, he was kind, he was always generous, he was affectionate as well, he hugged me, kissed me, he always gave me money, he always took care of everything. It was only after sort of, I would say, my mid to late 30s, when I really started, and he was alive, when I really started to sort of reflect, I, I went to therapy, I, start, I went to graduate school in my late 30s and in therapy. I started to sort of look at those experiences with my father and how they impacted me and my my understanding of that shifted dramatically. I never I never never shifted from thinking my father was a nice man to thinking he was an asshole. Right. He was never an asshole. Um but it made me it shifted in terms of my understanding of the impact of his parenting and the way he treated me. Mm-hmm. Uh which I didn't really understand in my teens and 20s because I was, you know, living in a fog in so many ways. Right. And the lack of that lack of, of feeling of safety that I've talked about before and that lack of feeling cared for and attended to in a meaningful way. You know, I, I always would say like, oh, he gave me money, he took care of me. Mm-hmm. But it never, but in retrospect and, and because of the way it impacted me, that giving me money in lieu of anything else and all the time in lieu of any other knowledge or lesson or experience in the world was not helpful and very hurtful to me and very painful to me as I got older. It's interesting that how that shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and my shift, I mean, you know, your dad never said anything to you that was unkind. You never. never. You know, my dad. In fact, the opposite. Yeah. He was always he was always encouraging in some yeah. ways and my kind, but simple. Re- repeatedly said things to me that were unkind. You know, repeatedly yeah. was apolo- would say something unkind and then would apologize for it. Repeat, you know, and then it, it, the first time that's kind of meaningful. And so this is the second time and third time. But like the 12th and the 28th time, it's yeah. just not, just so not anymore. But I, I, as just recently, have been able to sort of put, you know, most of that kind of where it belongs. It doesn't live. It's not so present for me anymore. Um, he died. He's dead. He not com- too long ago. Yeah, he's completely dead. 
<laughs> you know, that was, I get that. But yeah. my point was that 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 happened around the time he died or after he died? At, well, no, uh, after he died. I was wrecked right. when he died and had, was very angry and very sad, alternately. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, had a couple of therapy sessions about that, which were very helpful. And, um, you know, just the other day, I mean, where I'm, what I'm able to do now is think about what it must have felt like for him, how painful it must have been. And this is the story mm -hmm. that I make up about mm -hmm. it. Uh, when I think about my own, I burst into tears. I was talking about this the other day and just burst into tears. Mm -hmm. um, when I think about what it would feel like to me if my daughter ever said any of the things to me that I said to my father, <clears throat> how mm -hmm. painful that must be. <clears throat> and I don't mean, you know, I mean things like, you know, I don't want to talk to you. Um, you know, that, that just must have been so hard for him. Even though he was a narcissist and probably a sociopath and an asshole and right and it was his actions and his his right. words that created that Correct. reaction that you didn't you didn't choose on your own outside of him right. to say like I don't want to talk to no, you no 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 of course not you know okay. um, you know sometimes I'll sit in uh, I remember vividly having a session with a client whose daughter wasn't speaking to her and she didn't know why you know and I. Most kids don't just stop talking to their parents for no reason. Um, no. Now, now, she may not have known why, and she may not have done anything intentionally. And who knows what else was going on. You know, I mean, there was there were a myriad of things going on, and I only saw, I only got one side sure. in a particular instance. And, you know, of course, in my office, I mean, she was in a huge amount of pain about it and, and mm -hmm. very bewildered and, and um, seemed like a, a nice person. My dad was not a nice person, um, and I was very explicit with him about why I was angry and why I didn't want to talk to him, you know, but I, but now I'm able to, to try to imagine how, how painful it must've been for him to hear me say those things. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that. And I have a similar experience, <clears throat> excuse me. I have a similar experience with my mother, um, in terms of not talking to her for many, many years. And I can completely, and by the way, I, I felt this way from the beginning. I can completely understand the pain that it must be like for her. To not to have a child say, you know, or to have a child not talk to her. But I don't feel, I don't feel badly about that. Or I don't feel any responsibility in a sense toward that because the, it was, it was her again, like she generated that, that lack of con context and connection by choosing to, to only be willing to hear certain aspects of my experience and saying to me, I don't want to hear the rest of it. So, like, my experience in any relationship is if, if you're in a relationship with someone and they say to you, well, I'm not interested in your experience, you're not really in any kind of meaningful relationship. Because being in relationship with anyone, especially a parent, one could argue, is, is vital. I mean, one of the foundations of relationship is being able to hear the other's experience, mm -hmm. is being able to let the other have their experience and share it with you and not just attack them for their experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exactly, right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's interesting you said that about understanding it all these years later, because your, your relationship with your father was so contentious. And so there, and, and was, this is what it brings up for me. Was there a part of you always, because it felt to me like there was, and I might just be wrong about this. So just clear this up. But it felt to me like there was always a part of you when you weren't talking to your father that wished it wasn't that way. Always. That wanted to make it better. Always. When I, when I moved to San Francisco and lived in the, on the, in the apartment above you, I mean, one of the reasons I was so depressed yeah. was just like that it's come to this. That was devastating for me that it's come to but, this. Right. Here's the question though. Did 
you seem to always believe through all those decades that it could be better. And the only way that I imagine it could be better is if your father chose to see it, to, chose to, again, like, see your experience as meaningful and see you differently. Like, to me, it never felt like he was capable of having that kind of relationship. But you always hoped that he was. Did you think that that was possible? Or was that just hope? It was hope. I hoped that it was possible. I hoped it was possible until the day he looked at me and said, do you know my son? Yeah. And that which is, a, and that's a devastating moment for anybody to have their parent look at them and not recognize them. And it was in that, in that moment I realized, oh, it's really over now. It's really, really over. I, I didn't realistically, th- if you'd said to me, you know, intellectually, do you think it's possible? I would have said, I, I, I don't really think it's possible, but I still kind of hope for it. Right. But right. That, that moment when I said, I'm, I'm, when I asked my dad if I was a huge disappointment, and he, he, there's that long pause, and then he said, "Like, you're not a huge disappointment." Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know. I, but you know, I, do you remember my dad's law partner, um, uh, uh, Howard Sterling? Do you remember him? Yeah, absolutely. I remember him. Well. I remember him in well. New York, and he was—he uh, had to have been in his seventies when I was visiting him. And he said mm-hmm. his dad had been dead for a long time, and he said his dad never told him that he was mm-hmm. proud of him, and he said he still hurts him. Still painful yeah. for him. I don't. That stuff just doesn't go away for people. It just doesn't. Even if you stop talking to them, even if you're like, "I'm done with that guy," that for most people, not not everybody, but for most people, that's that just doesn't go away. Yeah, it's an interesting question, though. Like you spent different periods in your life, years at a time, like not speaking with your father, right? Mm-hmm. Like choosing to not be in a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, was was that helpful? Do you, do you wish you had done it differently? Do you think no, the way I did it was the only way I could have? That's ha- dealt exactly. With it. That's part of the thing I grapple with these now. Mm. And what I always come back to is because I go right to that place. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. really totally hit the. You got right to the core of what's what it's about for me these days, right? So my dad in, in his estate, right? He left it. He made sure that my 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 children didn't get anything. He left what's called a generation skipping trust, which is a. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to leave money for my kids' kids, but he only left that for my brother's kids. He didn't leave that for yeah. my kids. So he really went out of his way to make sure that I got nothing. I mean, he right. uh, not nothing. He left me a little bit of money, which is really great, but um relatively speaking right but he really i was in the same section of the estate as the housekeeper you know like these right these things which i could right really you know but to be fair the housekeeper was kind of she was meaningful member of the family i get that but he was but it was like the ultimate and the final fuck you it was an absolute fuck you as in life so in death it's like i'm gonna leave not only am i gonna make sure that you don't I'm going to leave you as little as I sort of can within conscience, you know, that like the people around me are saying like, Bob, you, right. just, you can't just leave him nothing. You got to give him right. a little something. But he went, really went out of his way to make sure that like, fine, but I'm not going to leave his kids anything. He's not going to get any property. He's not going to get any of that stuff. It says specifically in the will, if it looks like I've excluded anybody in here and you think it's a mistake, it's not, it's intentional. There's mm-hmm. language in there that says that. Right. You know, there's no question about it. But I think back about it and I think, wow, did I just, was I just so angry? Was I just too angry to kind of see the forest for the trees? And should I have just, was was I making too big of a deal out of this? And then what I always end up coming to is, no, I, I no. <laughs> I, yeah. How could I have made a different decision if I had been faced with the same decisions and with the same guy who was doing mm-hmm. the same awful things to people? 
right. wh- what other decision could I come to except to say, this isn't okay, you can't do this. Right. It, you you couldn't have made another decision unless you were a different person. Right. And being the person you are, which is not the person your father was, which I would argue is a decent, kind, generous, loving person, being that person, there was no other choice you could have made. Doesn't seem like there was now. Yeah. I, I don't think, think I mean, so. you know, things would maybe be different for me and my family now if I had. Yeah, but that would have been that would have been crass opportunism right. and that's not who you were. You never did things to your father just to stay on his good side so you could get his money. There are people that do that in the world, but you you, you I, never I, had I just, that thought. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I know. Do it. I'm just saying like only that kind of person was the kind of person that could have made different choices in those moments to say like it reminds there there's this Michael J Fox movie years ago where there are relatives and the guy's dying and they're all like kissing his ass and like you know bending over backwards to be like who they're not so they could stay in his good graces so they could get his money. And that's just not who you ever were ever. I mean the, the the best the best example of that, if I can bring this up, is the is the driver's license thing. Uh, I don't even know what you're talking about. When your father, oh, my dad's driver's license. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, t- briefly, can you briefly articulate that for the purposes of understanding? Yeah, I mean, I had gone to the the geriatric neurologist with him, and mm-hmm. at that meeting, I was going to go into a godfather. <laughs> and at, go ahead, you finish it. And at that meeting... <laughs> You'll be assassinated. Yes, correct. So, <laughs> That's funny. Uh, at that meeting, um, he said there's going to come a, t- a day... Don't when- forget, the person that comes to you with the offer is the traitor. That's there right. Go. <laughs> That's right. That's what, his neuro- that's what his neurologist said. Said w- w- there's going to come a day when you don't recognize your children, and he was, of course, right. pro- ended up being prophetic, but not really prophetic because it's not a prophecy. It's, he's a doctor, right? Just science. Look, yeah, yeah, he looked at his brain and took images of his brain and did tests with him and blah blah. And um, his doctor, uh, after our I think second visit or whatever, by law he is required to notify the DMV if he thinks that his patients are can't drive safely. Which right, based what, on like Alzheimer's or dementia yeah, or right, things like exactly. that. Exactly, and so that's what he yeah. he said he had to do, and he sent a letter to be filled. He said, "Please have your doctor review this and, and fill it out, and they've got to sign." He gave thing. that to your father, the person he, he was saying thing, was incapacitated. He sent the thing to me, and I don't remember. I don't remember how, it, but mm-hmm. anyway, okay. I saw it, and he sent it to a doctor who knew nothing about what was going on. Mm-hmm. In other words, he was going to lie to the state. Your order, father. Yeah, in order to keep his driver's keep license. Keep his license, right. And I wrote to him. And what, what happened for you? You were afraid. I, well, my brother was a kid. I was afraid right. for other people. I was afraid for my yeah, brother. No, this I'm was saying. right around the time that that dude drove into the Santa Monica's farmer's market. Mm-hmm, that older man who had dementia. Who, and killed yeah. people. Yeah, and it was very I, terrifying. My brother Sad. was, I don't know, whatever, 12 or something, something like right. that. And I saw that he was asking this other doctor who knew nothing about it to make a report to the DMV. And I wrote to my father and I CC'd his doctor. Mm -hmm. And I said, please, I know this is scary. You cannot do this. If you, It's not safe to keep driving your little son around because you might kill him or yourself or somebody else. Yeah. I, I said, I said, if you can drive, then just, this is, doesn't mean you can't drive. Then if go to the DMV and take the test. And if they, right. if you can just go do it, but don't lie to them. Don't lie to the state. God forbid something happens. You'll right. ruin your life and you ruin the life of somebody else. 
and you know you you you're driving max right you got you have to be honest with the state you you got to i know it's scary i'm here i'll i'll help you through this whatever it is right. but don't lie about this and he he was furious he hit the roof he just that was it that's that's i'm convinced when i when i was cut out of that right that was the moment that when the he moment decided when he decided to cut me out yeah. of everything he said don't he just said stay out of my business and I'm convinced that's when he changed the, his estate and everything. Yeah. And again, what responsible, loving, caring child could have reacted any differently to that? You, I mean, the other reaction, which he suggested, was to say, like, okay, well, let's just hope for the best and not do anything. Yeah. I, I just don't see how you could have done that. I mean, I guess some people would have done that. They would have, like, said, well, they, that's my father. He knows what's best. I'm just going to stay out of it. Well, I... I it wasn't me. Couldn't do that. No, um, I and um, but you know, I mean, I don't know. There's another theory that he was equally as upset or more upset that I changed my last name. Well, that's an that's an interesting point. I haven't thought a lot about this actually. From a from a narcissist and a person who valued the kind of things that your father did, legacy and all of that bullshit. Um, how old were you when you changed your last name? When you removed 20, his last name 20, from your life? Uh, Twenty six, twenty seven. Like so that was decades that was decades ago that mm -hmm. was before that was years years before any of the other the older stuff the dementia like many decades but that stuck with him did he ever i don't remember this did he ever have a conversation with you directly and say that this is a horrible how can you do this to our family i don't remember do this. this to our family but he said why are you doing this right but i mean was there any was there any uh, uh judgment or, or attack or telling you that you're destroying legacy or that was there any kind of conversation I, I don't remember i don't remember that he said i was destroying mm -hmm. legacy but i think he was really upset about it i think he was really hurt and upset and it, i would be dishonest if i said that there wasn't right. some um part of that that was really because i didn't want his last name i didn't yeah. want to be associated with him i didn't want to be people to keep saying oh this is Bob Rifkind's kid. This is, I didn't right. want to, you know, it's like, oh, no, don't associate me with him. I don't know. I mean, to me, it's ridiculous. I don't know. My stepmom thinks that that's why I was cut out of the estate because I changed my name. I, but maybe she's right. Anyway, you slice it, whether I was cut out of his estate, yeah. out of his, because I, because I changed my last name or I was cut out because I you were trying to save, his, trying life. To save his life. Either way, yeah. it that that yeah. tells you what kind of a person he was. Yeah, I mean that's that's hard to accept, you know. I mean, but it, it is what it was, and so it, it what it suggested to me, and what I think I said this previously, but I say it again just because I think it's important to reiterate is that you decided that that's not the kind of person you wanted to be, and we're not going to be, right? Yes. You know, a client of mine said something really interesting to me one time. He said, uh, "I didn't get the kind of." father his father was old and dying he said i didn't get the father that i i wanted to have but that doesn't mean i can't be the son that i want to be that's interesting because that sort of suggests what i was just thinking i was watching last week i was watching the tv show this is us do you know what it is i do so it's, it's a family show there's a lot of emotional pulling on the heartstrings and tugging etc yeah, it's a but family the main show there's a lot of uh, tugging on the heartstrings yeah i think i just actually said that mm -hmm. literally word for word but anyway i appreciate the ed mcmahon repeating but one of the main characters uh randall played by sterling k brown i think is his name great actor he his character is going through this really difficult thing because he was adopted when he was younger and he wanted and it, by a white family and he's african-american and he he imagined his whole life he had this he had this alternate family that he imagined living in his whole life, uh, you know, that 
reflected more of who he wanted to be, who he thought he was. And so it made me think analogously, like, did you ever, having the father that you had growing up, did you ever imagine either that he was different or that you had a different family entirely, different father entirely? Did you ever have like a fantasy life about that at all or no? I never had a fantasy life about having a different family. No, about not about your father being different, like in a vivid I, I, way. I, no. I, not in a vivid. I mean, I I hoped that he would one day, sort of, you know, be able to understand what my experience was and 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 be empathic in some way. And that was just a hope. You know, I mean, hope in its own way can be tyrannical. You know, there is a tyranny to hmm. hope. I think. Yeah. What do you mean? Uh, be more specific. Well, then that, that that kills the poetry of it. I'm supposed to be able to just say there's a, there's a tyranny to hope, and then you're supposed, okay. supposed to let that sink in, and then beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm I'm moved by that uh, yeah. by that uh, thought. I'm just going to let that sink in and, and hold that. <laughs> just let that sink in. Just letting that sink in right now. It's sinking. It's going it's deeper sinking, and deeper. It's deeper. Uh, not a lot of insight in it, but it's you know it's it's hopeful. The, the insight is your share of that. My oh, I'm supposed to. We are bring all, the insight. I bring all, the insight. We are all speaking. I have the mouth, and I have the insight. That, that is, do you know what that's? A, you know what that's a reference to? No. What is that from? That is Mel Brooks from when he's he's doing uh, from the. 2000 year old man but it's not the 2000 year old man uh, bit it's the thing where he's playing the the folk singer and he's, we are mm-hmm. all singing okay. i have the mouth um so yeah i think that that we sometimes we allow hope to to guide us uh well beyond um its utility i think sometimes hope that's oh, interesting i think sometimes we we lose our own agency right we allow we give up our own agency and we say well i'm i'm leaving that up to hope for this thing to happen, not always, but I think there can be a tyranny to hope. Too much um, hope. I, I just think I think. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. Hope, hope can hold us in its grip and not let us go. Right. And, or or and not live in reality. Keep us. I guess you could say enslaved in a way mm-hmm. where we are no longer perhaps acting in a way that is in our own best interest because yeah. hope says, "Just keep waiting. It'll Wait happen. for it." Wait yeah. for it. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I like I like the, that characterization. I haven't actually heard it put that way before. Um, all right. Well, that's, yeah, I think that's interesting. All right. So next week on the podcast, we're going to continue this conversation about our fathers, and we're going to take up some of the deeper, more painful emotional experiences that I have had. And one in particular about the, around that time when my father went to prison, I got divorced, left my business and became a stay-at-home dad and basically withdrew from the world. So that was an intense experience. I was 29 when that happened. So we'll talk about that and we'll talk about other experiences of childhood. That doesn't sound very intense. What was intense (laughs) about that? (laughs) Exactly. Fuck it. Anyway, that's what we're going to be talking about next week when we continue our conversation about our fathers. Well, we're Joshua, to come up with another theme. That that that, that, sounded, that sounded meaningless. Let me let me tell you something. <laughs> that, that just the thought of that conversation is already bringing me a, an intense uh, relationship to sadness and despair. Um, just the thought of that conversation. But we will pick it up in our next show. All right, Josh. I'll see you then. Have okay. a good week. All right, you too. Bye. Mazel tov. Locks in the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, please go to KenjaminMedia.com.